According to the Pew Forum, about three in 10 U.S. adults are religious nuns, people who describe themselves as atheists, agnostics, or nothing in particular when asked about their religious identity. Today, Christians outnumber religious nuns by a ratio of a little more than two to one. But in 2007, when the center began asking its current question about religious identity, Christians outnumbered nuns by almost five to one, which describes a breathtaking pace of change. The nuns' share of the population is continuing to climb, 1% every two years. If current trends continue, they'll be by far the largest religious demographic in the United States within the next several years. Now, the reasons for this sweeping change are overly determined. I've talked with you about this from time to time, and it's a topic that will continue to resonate as we emerge from pandemic and discover how church life has been irreparably changed by long-term sequestering and the burst of virtual content. Currently, our in-person attendance seems to be hovering at about 40% of pre-pandemic levels. People are still reorganizing their lives as they take off their masks and regain personal freedom. Will old disciplines return? No one knows. But I want to observe that all aspects of American institutional life were under siege prior to COVID. We all felt this. A vast social upheaval has been underway for a while now, rocking all established forms of social organization, religious, political, educational, and community-based. Now, I believe that eventually there will be a reclamation of the necessity of healthy institutions since they're an inevitable outcome of our desire to accomplish good ends over long stretches of time. For instance, we can't cure cancer with a virtual GoFundMe campaign. It requires enormous effort, commitment, and resources over time. Think of it. Hospitals, universities, doctors, researchers, funders, politicians, coders, etc., etc., in a collaborative dance over decades and decades, a veritable institutional cornucopia. Without those various structures engaged and evolving over long time periods, no progress would be possible. And actually, the same is true for a life that's well situated in healthy community for 80 or 90 years. Though we don't often think of it, all of us are very dependent upon both formal and informal institutional structures for our thriving. The opioid epidemic is but one indicator of the breakdown of healthy community structures. A thoughtful commentator on these matters, columnist David Brooks, reported just before COVID how we might learn from a few communities that are thriving in social capital despite desperate economies. For instance, McCook, Nebraska has only 7,700 residents, but it has a Rotary Club, a 4-H club, a Future Farmers Group, a music festival, a storytelling festival, a chapter of the Nebraska Community Foundation, multiple churches, libraries, museums, and a James Beard award-winning bakery and coffee shop where the retired men gather and kibitz. If a teenager misbehaves, 
his parents have heard about it by the time he gets home. Many people make time for civic life and seem to wear 15 hats. Jared Muhlenkamp, for instance, runs a print and design store. He went to three meetings after work the day before I met him, Brooks reports, including the city council on which he serves. Mark Graff, who runs a local bank, says he spends 50% of his time on civic volunteering. His sister-in-law is raising seven children. She also writes for the newspaper, coaches swimming, is a substitute teacher and bus driver, competes in Ironman triathlons, works at the Y, helps run a concert series, helped organize the building of a dog park, helps out with a high school discipline program, and seems to sit on every spontaneous civic organization that pops up. These formal and informal associations are a function of people showing up in a committed way over long periods of time in support of the common good. And Brooks points out that this isn't dependent upon a prosperous economy. For instance, at most McCook schools, 50% of the students receive free or reduced cost lunch. Human thriving is less dependent upon wealth than it is upon humane and healthy institutional structures. And as I said, we're living in a moment where these structures are under great stress. Hard to tell if a place like McCook, Nebraska will survive the current trends as we emerge from pandemic or ultimately succumbs. But we do well to pay attention to what's going on and what our own behavior patterns reveal right here in our hometown. That's a very good question for Lent as we ask how it is with our souls post-pandemic. As for the current state of the church, I've always been aware that the organized forms of religion, so-called, were not faith itself, but a means for holding, pointing to, encouraging, even embodying the things that matter most of all, things like the Christ Church mission to love God above all things and our neighbor as ourselves, for instance. One day, I believe there will be a resurgence of effective religious reorganizing. This will occur as a natural human response to the great mystery of our being born and having to die and the rediscovery of the actual content of the life and times of Jesus of Nazareth, something portions of the church today have unfortunately and inexplicably lost track of as its principal focus. Let's be reminded that Jesus lived in extremely disruptive times. Let's remember as we accompany him on the final leg of his journey to Jerusalem that the religious and political and social structures of his day were in great distress. It was into that chaotic environment he did his thing. Today's reading from Luke begins with Jesus hanging out with his hometown folks in Galilee, his people, when several report how some of them had been killed by Pilate's men, mingling their blood with their sacrifices. By the way, this is the same Roman governor that will sentence Jesus to death a short time ahead. So this was like receiving a news report about deadly political terrorism. Did you know 
Pilate sent his men into the temple and cut some of our brothers down like lambs to the slaughter. Not simply like lambs to the slaughter, but alongside sacrificial slaughtered lambs. Such was the state of things in Jesus' day. No doubt these reporters sought Jesus' support for active rebellion, or assumed that was the outcome he favored as he made his way to Jerusalem. But he doesn't follow their lead. Instead, he turns the question back onto them. Rather than wallowing in the terror of the Romans, they should take stock of the content of their own lives, since peril stalks everyone, and each is responsible for a useful, fruitful outcome. Pay attention, he seems to say. Work the soil in the roots of your own lives. That's also a valuable lesson for Lent. But, but let's stay with the chaotic social-political context for just a little longer. I want us to remember that Jesus lived a real life in real times, fraught with severe and violent contextualizing problems. In this way, he was exactly as we are. We're also living real lives in real times, fraught with severe and violent contextualizing problems. And like the Galileans, we're prone to point fingers everywhere for the cause of our discontent, except where? At ourselves. And given that, his admonition to dig around in the soil of our own lives takes on greater meaning, waking up to what is, what matters most, how we've focused our priorities, what we actually do with our time and energy and resources. What are we doing? Who are we becoming? Friends, in days ahead, as the cultural tremors wax and wane, I encourage you to think of Christ Church as an outpost of safety, inclusion, and community that remains steadfastly committed to walking the path Jesus blazed as best we can. Denominations come and go, but the gospel will stand forever. Forever is a long time. In the meantime, we, you and I, have choices to make and work to do, communities to build and sustain, love and justice to promote and embody as modeled by Jesus Christ. The church that claims this as its essential commitment is the church that has the best chance of standing on the other side of chaos as a beacon of hope. I invite you, encourage you to help make it so. As the prophet asked, why spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen carefully to God and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and go to God. Listen so that you may live. <laughs>